Amen. Are you thankful for the wisdom that comes from the Lord? Need it day by day. Look, before we, don't be seated. We're going to pray here in just a second, but I want you just to turn around, greet a few people. Welcome everybody to church this morning. To mom, tell them happy Mother's Day to you today. people of God, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love to us. God, we thank you that you are present here. God, we thank you that you have a word for us this morning. And God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would be receptive to what you want to teach us. Father, I pray that the words that are spoken this morning would not be my words, but they would be words that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, your holy divine word that gives us guidance in this world, God. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And so we are willing to hear today, God. Please speak to us, change us, make us more like Jesus by the time we leave this place, God. We want to look more like him today. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. You may be seated. Thank you guys so much for being here today, choosing to worship with us on this Mother's Day this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask that you'd go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Guys, I'm getting some ambient music up here. I'm not sure if we're supposed to have that or not. But uh, I don't know if they can hear it out there, but I can hear it up here. All right, that's better. That's better. Judges chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there. If you're looking it up on your phone, you can scroll with me there. But Judges chapter 13 will be my text today. And I was originally going to speak to you about how to be a godly woman. That was originally going to be the topic of my sermon this morning, but... As I was preparing, as I was praying, I felt like God narrowed the focus a little more on my topic. So instead of talking about how to be a godly woman this morning, I'm going to talk to you about how to be a godly mother, and particularly a godly mother in an ungodly culture. How to be a godly mother in an ungodly culture. So if you're here today and you're a mom, this sermon is going to be for you. And if you're here today and you're not a mom, I still believe there are going to be principles and things that emerge here that will be useful to you, that will be a blessing to you. A lot of times when a preacher preaches on a topic and you think, that doesn't fit me, maybe God is teaching you something so you can help someone else. Or he's giving you principles, putting principles in your life that you can apply in another way. Because God's word will not return void. God's word will always accomplish It's work. 
And so this morning, how to be a godly mother in an ungodly culture. We are looking at Judges chapter 13. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And so as has been our pattern in a lot of sermons lately, I'm going to read a little bit and then I'm going to preach a little bit. Read a little bit and teach a little bit. And so that's going to be kind of the pattern this morning. Um, there's a lot of great moms in the Bible. A lot of great mothers who had wonderful influence over their children. And so I was trying to figure out which one I would go to, and I thought about Mary, the mother of Jesus, as an obvious choice. But usually I like to hold those things back kind of for Christmas sermons, so I didn't go in that direction. And there's other great mothers in the Bible, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. There were lots of great choices, Moses' mom who protected him. But I ended up going to Judges chapter 13, and this morning I'm going to teach you a little bit on the mother of the man who was probably physically the strongest man who ever lived on this earth. Physically, of course, Jesus was the most powerful man who ever lived on this earth because he was God and man. But it's, humanly speaking, probably the strongest man physically who ever lived in this world was named what? Samson, all right, you, been, you went to Sunday school or you've been doing your Bible reading or something like that, good job. Samson was the strongest man probably who ever lived, but we want to talk to, about his mom, not really because of that, but I found Samson's mom to be an interesting study for a couple of reasons. The first one is her son is a living illustration of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22 and 6. If you see our Rushwood Kids t-shirts or our logos or anything that and by the way I'm, I love these Sundays where we have our children come in and worship with us we don't do that every Sunday but about five Sundays a year we give our children's workers the day off and let everybody come in here and worship together that's good for our children's workers it's good for our kids to be in here but on all our Rushwood kids stuff this is the verse that we tag on there it's a very famous verse when it comes to children Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and that doesn't just mean boys, he or she. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, if you don't know, I'm not going to teach on Proverbs this morning, but if you don't know anything about the book of Proverbs, Proverbs are general truth. They're teaching you general truth. This is not 100% across the board for every single situation they are general truth of the th way that things go when we apply wisdom and so the Bible's teaching us when we apply wisdom if we start early training our children in the way that they should go that when they're old they're not going to leave that that's going to be part of them and oftentimes if they wonder they will come back to the truth and Samson's mom or uh, Sam, uh, the mother of Samson her son was one of those kids who went several different directions when we find his story, we find he's on the right track, then we find he's on the wrong track. Then we find him come back and he does something right, then we find that he gets even deeper, back and forth, back and forth, right track, wrong track. By the end of his life, he finally comes back to the right position and he finally fulfills the destiny that God gave him as the deliverer of Israel. You know, a lot of times as parents, we hope and we pray that our children have a straight line trajectory, that they come to know Jesus that they serve him and they just grow in him and continue on this beautiful straight line of upward movement with the Lord. But that's not how it always goes, guys. Unfortunately, that's not how it is for every single person. That would be our heart's desire, that would be ideal, but that's not always the way that it goes. 
Sometimes it's right track, wrong track, doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing. But Samson is an illustration that when you train up a child in the way that they should go, very likely they're going to come back to the right path. So that was the first thing I noticed about Samson's mom. The second thing I noticed about Samson's mom was that she raised her son in a culture that was ungodly. Can anybody relate? Can anybody relate? This was during the time of Judges. I need to give you a little context so you understand this this morning. By the way, when you're studying the Bible, context is king. You always have to put things in context. If you rip something out of context, you can make it say just about whatever you want to. So historical context, literary context, all that stuff comes into play in understanding God's Word. And so I've got to give you a little context this morning. But it was the time of the Judges. Israel had moved into the land. They'd been freed from Egypt. God had worked miracles to move them into the promised land. And they had defeated their enemies. And they had settled in the land. But they did not yet have a king that ruled over them. They did not have a king in Israel. They were ruled over by the judges. The judges were a group of almost like superheroes. Did amazing feats, did amazing things. And so they would have no king in Israel, but they had these judges ruling. And the book of Judges tells us that in that period of time, everyone in Israel did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to you at all? It's my body, it's my way, you can't tell me what to do. Don't put that on me, don't judge me. Anybody heard this sort of thing before? I mean, it permeates, it permeates our culture. It permeated their culture. And by the way, read the book of Judges and see how bad things got. See how bad things got. It was terrible, some of the stuff that happens in the book of Judges. I mean, we don't teach Sunday school. We don't teach kids groups on the book of Judges very much, at least not the details, because there are some terrible things that happen in that book because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and they would not come under the authority of God. And so in the book of Judges, there's a cycle that emerges. We call it the Judges Cycle. And here's what would happen. God's people would be living in his presence and things would be going well, but all of a sudden they would start to drift into sin. They would start to move away from him. They would be enticed by the gods, little g, gods of the people around them, and they would start to follow after these gods and take on some of the characteristics of the people around them, the culture around them. And once they started to drift away from God, then their enemies were able to come in, particularly the Philistines. By the way, this is just kind of an interesting bit of information because of the news lately. The word Palestinian, the name Palestinian actually comes from Philistine. Actually comes from that. It, it dates all the way back to that. Not the same people, but the same name. It comes from that name. But the Philistines would begin to overrule them and begin to oppress them. So they'd start with God doing the right thing. Then all of a sudden they would fall into sin, start to drift away. Then their enemies would come and overrule them and oppress them. And once their enemies oppressed them, then they were interested in God again. And they would cry out, God, I'm in trouble. Help. You ever pray those prayers? God, help. I messed up. They would start to pray those prayers. God, come in. God, do something. We're being oppressed. Your people are being oppressed. And so then God would raise up a deliverer. He would raise up a new judge. And that judge would come in and fight the fight for the people of Israel, lead them in the battle. They would, cast, they would uh, cast away the bonds of their foes. They would find freedom again. They would find God again. And the cycle would start back all over again. As soon as God delivered them, as soon as they were free from their oppressors, they would start to look away from God again 
and start to look to the culture around them. And it happens time and time again. It cycles through the book of Judges. So into this story, into this cycle, Samson is born. By the way, our lives can be like the Judges cycle if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we, you know, God's blessing us, things are going good, and when things are going good, we get complacent, we drift away from Him, and we find ourselves in trouble. We cry out to Him, He restores us, things are good again, and if we're not careful, we can ride that cycle for the rest of our lives. God forbid that that's what happens. God forbid that we get in a cycle like the book of Judges, but it's very, very easy to do. So that gives you the background. I want to actually look at the story now. Judges chapter 13 Starting with the first verse, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Verse 1 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. By the way, when you're reading the Bible and you see 40 years, that's usually a time of trial. That's usually a time of temptation. Sometimes it's 40 days. Sometimes it's 40 years. But that number 40 is oftentimes a time of testing that you will find in the word. And so they were oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2, in those days a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. Another thing I can clue you in when you're studying God's word. Anytime you see a woman who is unable to have children, a miracle is about to happen. Time and time again that motif is set up in God's word where you see a woman who can't have children, she's barren. And by the way, in that culture, in our culture, we take pills and stuff to keep us from have, having children. But in that culture, it was not like that. They wanted to have children. They saw children as a blessing. And so if they could not have children, it was something that was shameful. It was something that broke their heart. And they would cry out to God and they would ask for help from Him. And so anytime you see a woman who's barren, you know that God is about to do something special God is about to work a miracle. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. And let me tell you, give you a little interesting piece of information here. We're never told the name of this woman. We know that she's Manoah's wife. We know that she is Samson's mother. We're never told her name, and yet she is a strong and important character in this story. Verse 4 says, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food, food or you will, uh, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Let me give you that word Nazarite. I believe this is the first time that that appears in, in a person's life in the Bible. It's described in Numbers chapter 6, but this is the first time we see a Nazarite depicted in the Scripture. Nazarite, the definition of that is an Israelite consecrated, set apart to the service of God, under vows to abstain from alcohol, to let their hair grow, and to avoid defilement by contact with corpses. Also, they were not supposed to eat any unclean food, but that was a rule for all of God's people at that time. So this brings us to the, our first point today. Samson was going to be set, off, set apart in this kind of weird, strange way. He was going to be a Nazarite. And so my first point is this. To be a godly mother in an ungodly culture 
you must be willing to raise your children differently than everyone else does. Let me say that again because that was really good whether you thought it was or not. Number one, to be a godly mother in an ungodly culture, you must be willing to raise your children differently than everyone else does. You know, amen, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good place for it. Samson had to be a weird little kid. Let's just be real. He had to be a strange little kid. I mean, I doubt he got bullied because nobody could beat him up. But at the same time, I think he had to be a little bit different, a little bit weird. No wine, probably not, not even in ceremonies, even in religious ceremonies, he was not able to drink wine, not even able to drink, eat grapes in case they might have become fermented. So he had to stay away from all alcoholic beverages. Now at that point in time, the only thing they drank was water and milk and wine. That was about the three choices that they had. So all of a sudden, he's from, from birth, all of that's cut out, or at least a third of that is cut out for him. He's not able to drink wine. He's not able to even participate in the religious ceremonies that include wine at that time. Samson couldn't go to funerals. Grandma passed away. Grandma Samson passed away. He's not able to go to her funeral because Nazarites were not to get within any close distance of a body of a deceased person, whether that be an animal, a person, or whatever. So he couldn't go to grandma's funeral. He would have had to stay at home. That would have made him a little bit different. Couldn't eat any unclean food, had to keep kosher, had to keep a kosher diet, which again, for all the Jews that was true, but he was not able to eat anything like that. He couldn't even get the latest in-style haircut for Jewish boys. He grew up looking like he was in an 80s metal band. He had to have long hair his whole life. Couldn't even get a bowl cut from mom. I mean, he just had to have his hair long the whole time. So this had to be, he had to be a different kid. He had to be a kid that was a little bit special, a little bit strange maybe to people around them. And I'm sure you can imagine that people talked. In close-knit communities, I mean, you guys live in Ashborough, a lot of you. That's one of the things I said. We are like Olympic world champions in Ashborough for talking about stuff. We, man, we, we, you know, we're definitely coming. Gold medal, silver medal, we'd be somewhere there as far as talking about stuff, man. It gets all around quickly. It's like that in small towns. No doubt where Samson grew up, there was a lot of talk about that weird little kid, Samson. Parents claimed that God gave him a special calling, set him apart in a special way. He's a weird little kid. He's a strange little kid. And I'm sure people talk, but evidently mom didn't care too much because she kept raising him in the way that it was prescribed for him to be raised. I imagine other people called her son weird, and I imagine she called him chosen. Sometimes we have to understand that as Christians, we're going to be a little bit weird. In fact, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. Peculiar is probably not the tag you won't put on you. You know, yeah, that's a peculiar person. That's probably not what you want to hear, but that's what the Bible says we are. We're a peculiar people. We're a special people. We're a chosen people. We're a set-apart people. We're a little bit different, and that's okay. It's okay to be different this morning. You know, I grew up in what we called the holiness movement. The holiness movement. It was a, it was a movement within the church. I believe God brought it within the church to remind the entire church of some things. But the holiness movement was very strict on certain things. There were certain things that were not allowed if you grew up in the holiness movement, and I grew up in the holiness movement. There were certain things we didn't do that everyone around us did. We didn't drink alcohol. We didn't go to the movies. 
Now, I love movies. I go to movies all the time now. But growing up, we did not do a lot of movies because we were afraid of some of the things that were in them. And, you know, looking back, that might not have been the dumbest thing in the world because there's some garbage in some movies now. But anyway, we'll move on. We didn't smoke. We didn't chew. We didn't go with girls who do. That was part of what we did. We, we stayed away from certain things. My mom, by the way, talk about chewing. I'm talking about tobacco. But my mom wouldn't even let me chew chewing gum in church. It was that strict. It's like, no, no, we're doing something special here. You don't even chew a stick of gum in church. That's how I grew up. My my mom's over there. I ain't even looking at her, but it's true. She would other little kids in Sunday school like you. You want a stick of gum? And I'm like, no, my mom might might get me. No, I better not do that. Pretty strict. We were different, and y'all, I'll be honest. It was not always easy growing up that way. It was not always easy not participating in the things that other people did. It was not always easy fitting in when you had standards that you kept that other people didn't keep. I mean, I went to Ashborough High School, and back in those days at Ashborough High School, the way people related to each other was they went to the party on Friday night and got drunk together. I wasn't part of that scene. I never was part of that scene because I grew up being taught different standards than that. Even when I went in college, I didn't get into the party crowd in college. I never stopped going to church. Now, that's weird. In our culture, that's weird because what you're supposed to do is you go to church as long as mom and dad can make you go to church. But when you get about 16, 17, maybe you'll stay around. When you hit 18, oh, I'm gone. I'm not doing that anymore. And then you get out and you get in sin and you get in all sorts of problems. And then you have kids of your own and you figure out, uh, maybe I needed that church thing after all. Maybe I needed to go back because I'm having trouble with my marriage. I'm having trouble raising these kids. I'm having trouble with the lifestyle that I've created for myself. Maybe those people weren't so stupid after all. That's the normal pattern. And by the way, Lord help us break that pattern. That's a terrible pattern. I I hear people say, oh, you know, kids got to get out and sow their wild oats. No, they don't. No, they don't. They absolutely don't have to do that. They don't have to leave church. They've got to explore, and they've got to experiment, and they've got to do all this stuff. Look, a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. And as I was sober when the people around me weren't always sober, sometimes I would look back and say, that looks stupid. I don't think I'm going to do that. That looks like a lot of trouble. I don't think I'm going to go down that road. I tried to learn. Did I make mistakes? Absolutely. I was not a perfect kid, anything like that. But I stayed out of a lot of things because I was raised to be different. I was raised that I didn't have to be like everybody else. My dad sat me down when I was four or five years old on a, in a, on a stump in our backyard, and he looked me in the eye and said, Brent, as you grow up, be your own man. You don't have to follow the crowd. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You be your own man, and you make your own decisions. And I was just hard-headed enough that I did it. I was just hard-headed enough that I didn't have to go with the crowd, and I did not have to follow everyone else. But I grew up different. I grew up different. Didn't get into a party crowd in college. Never left the church. Never slept with a girl until I married my wife. I'm glad I can look at my wife and say you're my one and only. Not everybody can do that. That's another thing our culture says. It's just impossible. It's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. With God, you can make it. With God, you can live a life of pure. I'm about to preach in here this morning because we need it in this culture. If it's too plain, I'm sorry. But listen, you don't have to go like everybody else. People say, well, that's just, you know, that's too religious. God calls us to different standards. 
God calls us to be different. He calls us to live a holy life. And I understand some of you got in trouble before you knew Jesus. Some of you got in, and I understand that because, hey, if you're in the world, you're going to act like the world. But what I can't understand is why Christians want to act like the world. Why Christians want to fit in with everything else. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I never slept with a girl until I married my wife. I never tried drugs. I never drank alcohol. Man, That when I taught middle school, they couldn't believe that. I was like, you know, I've never even tasted alcohol. And they're like, you're lying. Come on, Mr. T. That can't. I'm like, no, I, I didn't. I never did. Never joined a gang. Never got involved in things like that. We were different, and it was okay. Now, I'm, now I'm not saying that every rule that we had was a good rule. I'm not saying that everything that I grew up being taught was perfect and some of the stuff was man-made stuff. My wife and I didn't even dance at our wedding because she grew up independent Baptist and I grew up Wesleyan and neither of them danced. I mean, we could sway a little bit as long as your feet didn't come off the floor, right? But, we, you know, and that's silly. You should be able to dance at your wedding. Some of that was man-made stuff that was not really helpful. If you're chewing gum this morning, I'm not judging you for chewing gum in here. If you got a cup of coffee, it's okay, all right? We're not... Some of that wasn't helpful, but a lot of it was. A lot of it was good. Looking back, I, it wasn't a perfect way to grow up, but I'm kind of glad I grew up the way I grew up because I learned to be different. I learned to be set apart. I learned that I didn't have to follow the crowd. I learned that sometimes I would just set my chin and say, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not going along with that. That's wrong, and I won't go that direction. And I'm proud, and I'm glad that I was taught that way, and I grew up that way. We can't just fought blindly follow the culture. Have you seen where the culture is going? Why do you want to follow the culture? Can't just blindly follow it. We have to think every, listen to me guys, listen to this. If you're tuning out, tune back in. We have to think everything through with a sanctified mind. Because Satan has all sorts of traps seated in everything now. It's in media, it's in education. It's in social media. It's everywhere. He has all these little traps, and we have to be smart enough and wise enough to recognize them and go around them to go a different direction. We need to think through how are we going to educate our children because not all education is good education. Not all education is godly education. We need to think that through. Mom, Dad, how are you going to educate your children? Don't just do what everybody else does just because they're doing it. You need to pray and you need to seek God's face on some of this stuff. Because some of this stuff out there is leading our children astray. We need to think through what sort of things are we going to allow our children to listen to and to watch. Because not all media is good media. In fact, I'm kind of getting more and more convinced that most of it's bad. Most of it's against Christianity. Most of it's against living a godly life. I'm not going to let my kids just listen to and watch anything and everything. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I told you, in my kids' bedrooms, they have like a DVD player. Why? So I can, and I know that's antiquated now, but I can put a disc in and I can know what they're watching. They don't get to go through all sorts of 500 channels and half of them are garbage. That's not going to happen in my house. They can cry and scream, roll around on the floor and pound their fist. I don't care. As long as they're living under my roof, it's going to be my rules. And I try to guard my children's eyes and guard their heart as much as I can. You've got to decide, is church going going to be a priority for your family? 
I love, to see, I love to see people on Christmas, and I love to see people on Easter, and I love to see people on Mother's Day. I just found, I never knew this before, Mother's Day is the third most attended Sunday in most churches, in the average church. I love to see people on those days, but I'm telling you, you're not really getting enough for your family if that's the only time we see you. You're really not getting enough. You can't really say, well, I raised my children in church, and then I don't know why they went off the rails, because you're not really raising your children in church if you only show up a couple of times a year. I love you. I love when I get to see you. I want you here as much as we can, but it's just not enough. You've got to make that decision with a sanctified mind. You've got to make the decision, are you going to let your daughter dress like some rap star's backup dancer? Or are you going to teach her to dress with modesty? Because if, she, if she's dressing like that, she's going to attract the wrong people. Absolutely going to attract the wrong people. And look, I, and you say, and she says, well, everybody in my grade is doing it. All the girls at school are doing it. I'll tell her what I told my mama would have said to me if I had been a girl. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. You're my child. You'll do what I tell you to do. You'll dress the way I tell you to dress. Modesty is important. I may preach a sermon sometime called Sister Help a Brother Out. <laughs> Guys are visual. I don't care how good they are. Guys are visual, and ladies need to understand this. And no, it's not all on the woman. The man needs to be a man and be responsible as well. But a sister can help a brother out by dressing the right way, dressing modesty, modestly. Parents, are you going to say, moms, are you going to say to your son, boys will be boys? Or are you going to say that you expect them to act and treat women like a Christian gentleman should act and treat women? That's important. That's important. What happened to gentlemen? What happened to boys being chivalrous and knowing how to open the door for the girl and knowing how to talk to a young lady and treat them with respect? We need to, and a lot of that's going to follow fathers. And by the way, Father's Day is coming. I always love Father's Day. That's a fun one to preach. Are we going to treat them to tr teach them to treat women like a Christian gentleman should treat women? Chivalrous, like a gentleman. Men are supposed to do that. We're supposed to be prote protectors of women, not predators of women. That's how God designed it. That's the way it should work. Are we going to make that decision? You need to settle these questions in your heart. Mom, dad, parent, you need to settle these questions because you do not want to follow our culture where it is going. You do not want to follow our culture down that path. You need to make these decisions with a sanctified mind, with a set-apart mind, not just following culture, but trying to follow Jesus. That was point one. Some of my others will be shorter. Back to Judges chapter 13, verse 6. The woman ran and told her husband, A man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he told me, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat, in any, forbi nor eat any forbidden food. For your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about the son who is to be born. God answered Manoah's prayer, and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. So she quickly ran and told her husband, The man who appeared to me the other day is here again. 
Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, Are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, When your words come true, what kind of rules should, be, should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, Be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She, mu she must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or eat any other forbidden food. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't, didn't realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, What is your name? For when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name, the angel of the Lord replied. It is too wonderful for you to understand. Point number two. To be a godly mother in an ungodly culture, you must honor your husband. To be a godly mother in an ungodly culture, you must honor your husband. I know, I know, this is going to be an unpopular point. I know. Because in our culture now, men are evil oppressors. Girl power. Down with the patriarchy. I know all these stuff, all this stuff, all these catchphrases. But let me help you understand something. God made the first woman from man. Remember? Adam and Eve. Remember, Eve was taken out of Adam. And now the Bible teaches us that all, man, all men are born from women. You know the process, right? I don't have to teach biology. We get that. So the first woman came from man, and now all men come from women. What is that teaching us? It's teaching us we need each other. It's teaching us we need each other. Godly women need godly men, and godly men need godly women. It's not about one ruling over the other. It's about working together as a team for godliness. That's what it's about. That's what God's Word is trying to teach us. The angel didn't appear to Manoah at first. And the angel didn't really appear to him first either time. He appeared to the wife. He appeared to Samson's mom first. But in humility, she brought her husband into it. I mean, I can imagine she could have gone to her husband and said, You know what? We've been talking about who's the most holy, who's the best, best Jewish person, who's the best Israelite. Well, guess what? An angel appeared to me. Angel didn't appear to you, old boy, but he appeared to me. So, you know, I, I, you need to sit down, listen to me, get some instruction on righteousness and holiness because an angel has appeared to me. That's not what she did. She brought her husband into it. She brought him in to be part of this process. She honored her husband and she respected her husband. I hope those aren't dirty words among us, among Christians, that a wife should honor and respect her husband. Now, a husband needs to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And, and you remember Christ gave himself for the church. And I'm going to talk about that in a couple of weeks when it hits Father's Day. And so men, your turn is coming. But right now, ladies, you need to understand that that's part of God's plan for a godly family is for the wife to honor and respect her husband. It's a godly thing. It's a good thing. It gives the maximum opportunity for children to be raised in the right way, to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so Manoah's wife respected him and honored him. By the way, I love this. Most commentators agree and believe that the angel, by the way, angel also means messenger. Angel can also mean messenger. 
Most Bible commentators believe that the angel that Manoah and his wife spoke with was the pre-incarnate son of God. Ask what his name is. He said, it's too wonderful for you to even comprehend. And let me, let me boil that down for you. In layman's terms, they met with Jesus before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was an appearance, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of God's only son. So here's the point that comes out of all this. Mom, if you want to see Jesus show up in your family, if you want to see Jesus show up in your marriage, if you want to see Jesus show up in your children's lives, honor and respect your husband. If you do that, you will see, you will have a greater chance of seeing Jesus show up where he needs to show up. And look, I'm not saying this today to disrespect single moms. I'm really not. Single moms, you do an amazing job. And a lot of you, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of you are not in the position you're in by your own choice. Man came along, came into your life. Children happened, he left. He's gone. He's off doing something else. He's not fulfilling his duties as a father. He's not fulfilling his duties as a husband. And so you're doing a great job raising your kids without the help that you're supposed to have. And so we applaud you for that. We honor you for that. We are not trying at all to tear that down. And I would say to you this morning, if you're a single mom and if you feel like God is leading you to have a man in your life again, you need to start praying that God would send you a righteous and holy and good man to come into your life, for your life and the life of your children. Pray not that, not that God would send you some old dude and maybe he'll become a Christian down the line. No, somebody who's already worshiping God and working with God and serving God. You need to start praying about that. And until that happens, don't have anything to do with anybody. Until that happens, until God brings that in, don't have anything to do with anything less than that. Don't settle for less. And so single moms today, we honor you, we pray for you, and we appreciate you so much. That's all on that point. Back to verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering, and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot upward up to the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear to Manoah and his wife, again, to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord, and he said to his wife, We will certainly die, for we have seen God. But his wife said, If the Lord were going to kill us, he would have not accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. And when her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, while he lived in Mahanadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Point number three. To be a godly mother in an ungodly culture, you must believe that God has a holy destiny for your child. To be a godly mother in an ungodly culture, you must believe that God has a holy destiny for your child. One of my favorite Christian, of women, Christian women of all time was a woman named Susanna. 
woman named Susanna, not old Susanna, you know that song, but no, it's not, not from that. I don't know, it may have come from that, I have no clue. Anyway, Christian woman named Susanna. You think you got a lot of kids in your family. She was the 25th of 25 children. She was born to a man named Dr. Annesley, and she was his 25th child. She would go on to have many children of her own. But Susanna was absolutely brilliant from the beginning. She was, had a brilliant, brilliant mind. She could read and she could write in Greek and Latin by the time she was eight years old. She could debate theology with the best and brightest men who went to seminary, seminarians. The women in Susanna's family were so pretty. They were known so, for being so pretty that men were almost instantly smitten with them and historians tell us that Susanna was the prettiest one of them all. Susanna then married a man named Samuel. Samuel was terrible with money. Y'all know, hey, if you know anybody who's terrible with money, don't look at them right now. But he was terrible with money. Sometimes he even wound up being thrown in prison, in debtor's prison, for being behind on what he owed. And Samuel was a stubborn man. I know we have no stubborn men in this congregation, but Samuel was a stubborn man. One time he left his family, wife and children, for an entire year because Susanna would not say amen to one of his prayers for the king. Very stubborn man. Susanna would fall into bad health. She said had all sorts of health problems. She and Samuel's house burned down not once, but twice. Susanna would go on to have 19 children of her own, but only 10 of them survived to adulthood. Some of them died in tragic ways. In fact, one time there was a, a, almost a riot going on because of something that was happening in the country, of, in the nation of England at that time, and the riot was causing so much noise outside that Susanna had, because she had so many children, she had another lady who was a wet nurse for one of her infant children, and the riot kept the woman awake so long that she overslept and actually slept on top of the baby and killed the baby. And so Susanna had all sorts of things go wrong in her life. It seemed like Susanna's potential, she was brilliant, she was beautiful, she was a strong and intelligent person, and it seemed like all of her promise had been squandered because of her relationship with her husband Samuel, who, by the way, she was very loyal to Samuel. But Susanna believed so much that God had a special destiny for her children that she prayed intensely for them. In fact, Susanna dedicated two hours every day. Every day she would begin the day, two hours of prayer. She would put her apron over her head and she would tell her children, leave me alone, I'm praying for you. She took one hour every week for each of her children and spent with them an hour talking about the condition of their souls, where they were with Jesus, how they were living for the Lord, how they were acting before God. Susanna believed that God had a special destiny for her children. She trained them. She prayed for them. And so is it any wonder this wonderful, brilliant, amazing woman who it looked like her life would not amount to anything because she so believed that God had a special destiny for her children and she was so devoted to that, is there any wonder that her 15th and 18th children would become some of the greatest evangelists in world history? John and Charles Wesley, Susanna was 
their mother. And she believed God would do something special with her children, and God did something special with her children. Mom, you've got to believe in your kids. Mom, you've got to believe in your kids. My mom always thought, I, and I know every mom thinks her kid is special. I know every mom thinks her kid is just the best. But my mom told me from a young age, Brent, God has his hand on your life. Brent, God is going to do something special with you. Brent, God is going to use you in a special way. And even times when I lacked confidence, I started school early, and, and so I was younger than everybody in my class, and I was a fat kid, imagine that, and so I got picked on a lot of times, and, you know, sometimes I struggled even with grades because I was a year ahead of where I should have been and that, and that sort of thing, and, and sometimes that just made me feel like I'm not very good. I'm not worth a whole lot. But my mom never stopped saying, Brent, God has his hand on you. Brent, God will do something special with you. God, Brent has you here for a reason. My mom and dad, after they were married, couldn't have kids for 15 years, did not know why. They could not have children for 15 years. But finally, after 15 years, here I was, and they never had another child. But my mom always believed and always preached to me, God's going to do something special with you. Mom, have you said that to your kids lately? Ma, Grandma, have you said that to your grandchildren lately? Aunt, have you said that to your nieces and nephew lately, that God has something special for you? And not only will you say it, but will you believe it? Not only will you believe it, will you pray for it? Not only will you pray for it, but will you work for it? Moms make such a difference. It's so great that we have Mother's Day and we're able to honor our moms today because they make such a difference. And I know not everybody had a great and godly mom like I did. I was blessed. I was super blessed. I started the race way ahead of some people because of the parents I had, and I know that, and I know how blessed I was. But moms can make such an impact. Mom, you can make such an impact on your child, or grandmother, you can make such an impact on your grandchild that they could change the entire world for Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better than that. I'm going to ask that you stand this morning, and the worship team is going to sing a, another song. And I'm, I'm going to do an altar call, but the altar call is just for moms today. It's just for mothers. At least the first wave is going to be moms. If you want to go deeper with the Lord, if you want to have faith in your kids in a different way, if you want to raise your children differently, if you want to be a better mom than you've ever been before, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without the power of Jesus Christ in your life. You can't do it without surrendering to Him. And so if you want to be the best mom you can be, if you want to be the best grandmother you can be, if you want to be the best aunt that you can be or, or whatever your relationship might be to these children that are coming behind you, I'd just like to invite you to come and pray about it because I can't do it for you and I certainly, one sermon I preach is not going to fix it for you or make it better or take you to a new level. It's just I, I'm not that good, but God is. And so I'm going to invite you as we sing this song to just to come down and you can pray. And after if a mom, grandmom, aunt, whatever comes down here to pray and and you want to join them, and you want to surround them, you want to lay hands on them and pray for them, you're welcome to do that. But this invitation is primarily for moms to come down and say, God, use me in a special way that I might influence my children and the children around me to change this world for Jesus Christ. This is a great song, y'all. Listen to it, but also be in a spirit of prayer. And this area is open if you want to come pray this morning.
Father, we, we give you thanks this morning for the godly women that are in our lives. God, those of us who grew up with a godly mom, godly grandmothers, Lord, what a blessing that has been to our lives. We thank you for that this morning. Help us not to take that for granted. What a wonderful blessing. And God, there may be people here this morning who their mom, their grandmother, whomever does not know you. And that may be a burden today. And God, I pray that you would work through them and work through your Holy Spirit that their mom might come to know you, their grandmother might come to know you. God, we thank you for these moms who stepped up and said, I want to be the best mom possible. I want to so live in my child's life that it influences them to know Jesus in a deep way and then that changes the whole world and so God I just pray you'd bless them today God help them in this endeavor God we thank you that you've met with us today we thank you that you've spoken to us we thank you for the babies that were dedicated the children that were dedicated you're just so good to us and so we want to leave this place praising you today and exalting your name Thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for saving us from our sins. And God, we do want to spend our entire lives loving our Jesus, the, the, our, the Savior, our Lord. Thank you for your blessings to us. It's in his name we pray these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Look, yeah, you can, you can clap, you can give God some praise. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.